Good morning, everyone. You can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Uh, at the end of this lesson, I'm going to make a really quick announcement just to let you know to hang in there to the end. Um, but this morning, we're going to be in Ma Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. One thing that I've told you along the way is that somewhere Jesus is going to offend you probably multiple times. He's, he's showing us what the kingdom life is like compared to the earthly life that we have always lived before we have come to, to God. And here in the Sermon on the Mount, we've covered some very um, difficult topics, anger, retaliation, divorce, lust, loving your enemies, hypocrisy. But today, I get to talk to you about your money or really your possessions. The key to this section is what's going to be found in verse 33, and Peyton's going to really deal in that last part of the section next week, where he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Righteousness is a very important word as we have gone throughout the Sermon on the Mount. We learned that only those who hunger and thirst for it is going to be filled. And yet he also tells us that it is those who pursue righteousness are the ones who will be persecuted. But at the same time, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The good news is, is that this righteousness is to exceed what we see with the scribes and the Pharisees and their religious hypocrisy that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And so this week, he continues on in, in what it's like to pursue the righteousness of God. As we strive for the perfection of the Father, as Matthew 5 and verse 48 teaches us, we learn that there are things along our journey that will try to divide our loyalty to the Father and to his kingdom. And one of those has to do with our wealth. Now, it's important we avoid extremes when we come to this topic. One extreme is to deny all material forms of indulgence. I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. In fact, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24, Solomon's writing about the emptiness of a workaholic. And he says there, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find full enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. Another extreme is to think that making provisions for the future is a lack of faith in God. Once again, we just don't find that type of teaching. In fact, we go back to Proverbs, and, and he tells the sluggard, what does he say? Go to the ant. The ant is the one who works hard in the summer in order to make provisions for the winter, and we could look at other things. The other extreme is to think that all wealthy people serve money rather than God. Once again, that's just an, it's an extreme. We know that Abraham was filthy rich, and yet it says that he was a friend of God. God gave Job double prosperity at the end of his plight. We know that one of the disciples of Jesus, G Joseph of Arimathea, says that he was a wealthy man. So what is Jesus talking about when he's dealing with our money and laying 
up in these, these treasures of heaven? Well, he's going to deal with these contrasts. We find the series of, of two as we go throughout our text today that helps us to understand. And the very first one we're going to look at is the two treasures, and it has to do with our affections. So we look into our text in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, this is important, there your heart will be also. I wonder how many of you have mothballs in your house. Mothballs are used to, to kill moths and their eggs. Why do we have those? Because we know that these moths, they get into, our, get into places and they, they eat things that... Um, they feed off of animal fibers, such as wool and fur, silk, leather, etc. In other words, these things don't last. And where do we put these mothballs? We put them in our closets because they don't even last long enough. Even before you know these things, uh, you know they're eaten up by moths. It's lost interest in us because they're in our closet because. We no longer use them. When I was in high school, I couldn't wait to get these, this pair of what they call jams shorts. I had a couple of pair and parachute pants. Man, I was so cool. And I know young people today, they laugh at that. And they're just, you know, they're like, come on, are you serious? But I've seen some of the things that you young people wear, right? And, and, and you're going to look back one day and you're going to realize that yoga pants and, and skinny jeans these did not look very good. Kind of the same, those of you who were raised in the 70s and you thought bell bottoms were a great thing, right? You see, these things don't last. There's one thing that, that seems to always last and that's overalls, you know? Overalls have always been around. Maybe we should all wear overalls. But the point is that these things are only temporary and we're always looking for the new thing. In fact, it is the thrill of of getting something new that drives us. And once we get it, then suddenly we start looking for that next new trend, that next new thing. You know, I never have been one to get into, you know, the cell phone wars and, you know, uh, always looking to get the newest one, you know, if it, you know, it's always a big production with like Android and, and iPhones and so forth. I have an, an Android, it's like two or three years old. And, and in, in the cell phone world, that's, that's ancient, right? But I've never really been one to just want to go out and get the next newest thing until I just saw the Surface Duo. This thing is awesome. It opens up and, and it, you can use two apps at the same time. You can turn it sideways and you can type on one. You can, you can drag and drop across screens and, and it does all this cool stuff. And, and, and it's a phone, right? And it's a phone. And I'll tell you, I struggle with that. I'm like, man, I'd love to have this, this Surface Duo. I love all things Surface. 
But if I get it, how long is it going to be before I say, man, I want to get the next newest thing that comes out on the market? That's how these things work. Jesus said that things rust, which is a, a general term that means consuming or eating. It refers to the corrosion of metals, but it also refers to like the eating of rats or mildew, all of those things as well. Well, I've had at times, you know, rats have gotten into things in my garage. But once again, it's like a closet. Why are those things in my garage? Because I'm not using them. And so Jesus said there are some things that we have that are of value, but we're afraid that they're going to get stolen. You know, I drove for, for several years a 2000 Honda Accord. And one thing I did not worry about is someone stealing it. I had the cracked leather seats. It had a cassette tape uh, in there along with the CD player. You know, you didn't worry about scratches. And the best part, it was paid for. But then when I had my accident and it totaled out my car, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm, wanting, I'm like, I want to see everything. I'm consumed by those things. And you get it, and then it's like, man, you're so happy for a while. And then suddenly, you're not. So Jesus tells us, stop focusing on the things of this earth. And he tells us, instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And he's making this contrast between the things that we know and that we love to the heavenly things. Jesus is telling us that if we keep our hearts fully focused on him, then we can have treasures that pale in comparison to the kinds of things that are offered into our world. No one can take your earthly, your heavenly treasures. Time can't do it. You know, um, nature can't do it. People can't take it. You, you feel sorry sometimes when you go into the Old Testament and, and Israel comes in and they, they take the promised land and they're given all of these allotments for their land. And you kind of feel sorry for the Levites. Levites are given 48 cities, but they're not given these huge, massive amounts of land like the other tribes until you look at it a little closer. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 9 says, Therefore, Levi has no portion or inheritance with his brothers. See, that just sounds so negative. But then he continues, the Lord is his inheritance. They inherited God since they were the chosen people to lead Israel in worship to the God of all things. And those who belong to the kingdom of heaven, what does what does the writer of 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 tell us? He says that we are a royal priesthood. We are God's own possession. In the book of Colossians, Paul affirms this new life that we have in Christ in, in Colossians chapter 3. And he goes on and he makes these contrasts between the old way of life and this new way that we have in Christ. We, we kind of talked about this last week. There's this, last week, there's this conversion of heaven and earth. And the kingdom of heaven is invading our world. And if you're a disciple of Jesus, it has invaded 
your very soul by the, by the Spirit of God. And when we do that, we push out. We're meant to push out the old ways, the ways of the world. In fact, when we look at our text that we just here we read a moment ago, it's written in a present tense form. And what that means is in the Greek, it's better read as stop storing up treasures on earth. Stop, because those things, they just do not satisfy. Where are your treasures? Where do you lay up your treasure? Where is your heart? A second contrast that he makes is two eyes, and that has to do with our attention. We go back into our text in Matthew chapter 6, and we look at verses 22 and 23. And here he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Hmm, it's interesting. And what he's trying to tell us here is that in what the way it was viewed is that the eye was, it, it let in the light to the body. So if you have good eyes, healthy eyes, it allows the body to be illuminated as to how it was seen. The word good, as he uses here, also means to be single, a single-minded devotion. But he also makes a comparison to this bad or evil eye. And, and that was something, a phrase that was often used by the Jews, the evil eye, and it could be referred to someone with greed and selfishness. The pursuit of material wealth is a feeble attempt to fill the dark void of our souls that can only be filled with the good eye that is fixed upon Jesus. Do we focus on what will make our lives better or more satisfying or appealing to others? Or do we set our eyes on the kingdom of God and, and making someone else's life that is better by the way of Christ? What has our attention? What the world lives for pleasure, but it doesn't deliver anything that is lasting. And, and what we become is what we set our attention on. So if we set our attention on things that are, are temporary, things that are the latest trends and the latest fashions and the latest, newest things, those are superficial things. We become shallow people. You ever met people? They're so devoted to things. They're just shallow. There's not any depth to them. In fact, there was a study that was done by... Um, by the New Yorker several years ago about those who give themselves to the accumulation of wealth. And what they found is they have a tendency to be more isolated and they have a loss of empathy for others. You ever met people like that? Is our world, are we struggling with this very aspect right now in our culture? The study also found that people in third world countries, they have a greater sense of community of each other. We look out into to the church right now and, and really what it was before this pandemic, and we have less of a sense of community anymore. 
Is it because that we've got our eyes focused on us, on, on what church does for me? Is it, is it about, you know, pleasing what I want to be pleased? Or is it a sense of community? What we don't realize is that when we give ourselves to these materialistic things, eventually our whole body, our soul is filled with darkness. We need a generous eye that looks to help others and to looks to God, the Father, and to his kingdom. A third contrast is two masters. And this has to do with our allegiance. So in verse 24, he says, um, in verse 24, he says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And money, I don't like that translation. It's really not a good translation here. If you use a King James or New King James, yours says mammon. That really is the better translation. And it's a word that means property and wealth, not just in the sense uh, of money. And did you notice here in verse 24, he personifies mammon. He gives it this evil personality that is contrasted with, with God. Because that's what happens when money becomes our God. Jesus wants to know where is your loyalty? There's only one thing in this life where we get to choose between what or who we will serve. What is going to be our master? Now today, I don't think anybody listening in or going to be in, in our worship service this morning is bows down to an idol. But without realizing it, we may fall down before the God of materialism. Colossians 3.5 says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he says, covetousness is one of those things. Covetousness, which is idolatry. Tim Keller, he defines idolatry this way. It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. One of the great themes of Genesis 1 and 2 is that God knows what is good for humanity and he gives it in abundance. But Adam and Eve, they wanted to choose what is good and bad for themselves. Sin is rebellion against God against God's sovereign rule. It, it is a rebellion against, or rejection rather, against the very goodness of God. And so the Son of God, he comes to the earth and he's trying to tell us once again, listen, this is what's good and what you can have in abundance. To show us what is truly satisfying. But you can't have one foot into the world and, and to serve its pleasures and its things and have one foot in heaven where we serve God. He, he shows this, the, the language here is that we have to choose our master, not employer. An employer is different. You can have two employers, but a slave can't have two masters. And he says, we've got to, 
It, there's, it's this single-minded devotion that he calls for. And he says, if we don't have it, then we're not serving him at all. But the choice is ours, unlike slavery we think of today. Either you hate the one and love the other. And love and hate, it is more than some kind of emotion. In the biblical sense, it has to do with our pattern in life. And just based upon it, what do you love and what do you hate? Just based upon your patterns of life. Who do you serve? Who do you love? 1 Timothy 6.10 says, for the love of money. Now, money itself, it's, that's not what's wrong here. It's just an inanimate object. It's the same as someone goes out and worships a tree. It's just an object. But he says that the love of, the love of that money is the root of all evil. And it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and they have pierced themselves with many pains. Loving God is more than an emotion. It is serving and giving ourselves completely to God according to Matthew chapter 22, 37, where he says that we serve him with our heart, our soul, and our mind, all our being. This is not about putting ourselves into poverty. It is about making sure that the supreme loyalty of our heart is to serve Jesus. Who is your master? There's only one that can give you eternal promises. First John chapter 2, 15 through 17, he says, Do not love the world or the things that are in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is from the world. And then listen to this. He says, and the world is passing away with all of its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. I believe there is no will of God apart from Jesus. He is the he is God's will revealed in the flesh. We often hear people say, "What is God's will for my life?" I'm seeking for God's will for my life. You want to know what God's will for your life is? It's to follow Jesus. It's living for him that brings the ultimate satisfaction in life. And if it's not, then we got to ask ourselves, what are we doing here? Where are my affections? Where is my attention? Where is my allegiance? May Jesus be our master that we may live as kingdom people. Father, we come to you and we just ask you to help us to push out all the worldliness of our lives, the things that grab our attention, the things that we devote ourselves to, the things that we show that we're not single-minded devoted to you. Father, just be with us and be with those who may be listening right now, those who may be listening and, and they they are not, they have not made you their uh, or their your son, their master and Lord. Father, I just pray that you would lead them and guide them. If we can help that person, Father, bring them to us and let us show them 
Jesus. And for those who may be out there and maybe they've got a lot of lip service going on, they realize they have no depth right now. They have no sense of your community, no sense of what you have called us to be. And so, Father, I just pray for them. I pray for their hearts. And I pray for those who may be here right now and they are repenting and they are confessing before you. Father, help them to realize just what a great and wonderful choice that they have made. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I did want to end today by giving just a quick announcement. Um, thanks to the elders, um, they are allowing me to take a month sabbatical. Over the last seven, eight months, it's been very difficult um, for me emotionally, mentally. It's been difficult watching uh, all the things that's been transpiring in our world. And, I, and honestly, the hardest part has been seeing how the church is just being ripped apart, not just here, I'm talking about worldwide and to allow all of these, these various things to divide us. And, and I need a time to reset. I need a time to just focus in on God. And I'm so thankful to our elders There's, uh, that, that they're giving me this opportunity once again to be able to do this. I just ask that you pray for me and then that you uh, that God would fill me up once again. I'm going to be praying for all of you um, as well. But I just wanted to make that announcement and just let you know that uh, if you text me, I may not answer that text or email because I'm completely going off the grid. Um, but once again, thank you for all of you who have loved me and cared for me and and done so much for me. Uh, I know that I'm not the only one, and some of you who are listening, you're going through similar things in your life um, as well, and I pray for you. So thank you, and hopefully we'll see you in a month.